You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Good morning, UBC. My name is Tof, and I'm the, one of the, I'm the community pastor here. I'm going to invite my friend Manuel Roldan up. Um, today's an exciting day. Uh, we are at the initial stages of beginning a partnership with Mayor Iglesia Bautista um, in, here in Waco, and Emmanuel is the pastor there um, at Premier Iglesia. And so we're doing a good old-fashioned pulpit swap this morning. Um, and so you can be praying for them because they get Josh. Um, <laughs> And you're laughing because you know what that I tells. Uh, so we get the better end of the deal. Um, and so Emmanuel and I have, are becoming better friends over the last year. Uh, his wife, Evie, uh, went to UBC for many years. And so he's been uh, here with her. And we really just invited Emmanuel so we could get Evie back, at least for one Sunday. Uh, and so we're so glad to see you again. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited about this partnership and how that will develop over the coming um, years. And so uh, we are excited to kind of initiate this today and hear uh, Emmanuel preach for us this morning. And so would you join me in welcoming Emmanuel? Thank you. Thank you, Tof. Thank you, UBC, for uh, having me here this morning. Thank you uh, to the pastors and staff for, uh, for this invitation um, it's so good to be at UBC, uh, know so many of you here, and I'm just thankful for this place. Um, Evie actually uh, used to go to UBC uh, before she became the first lady at Primera, where uh, I currently serve as the pastor, and uh, it's just good to be here with you guys this morning. Would you join me in prayer as we start? Oh, good and gracious God, in these moments, in the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here together, be acceptable unto you. Oh, God, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, um, as I was preparing for this sermon, I uh, thought of this, this story. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I um, loved to play basketball. And uh, perhaps some of you guys played Little League, and so you know the pressure that, uh, that, that comes with playing Little League basketball. Uh, the stands are full. Parents are uh, going crazy. My dad, in particular, was one of those parents that would get all the threats. Uh, Sir, one more from you and you're out of here. And it, it was it constantly, uh, that, that's what he heard at every single game. There was one game in particular that I remember where we were playing. I was dribbling the, court, uh, the ball down the court. I was about half court and there was about three people on me and my dad was yelling from the stands, uh, giving me directions, trying to tell me what to do. And he was yelling uh, so loud that it was distracting. I, I, I didn't even know which way I was going anymore. So I finally stopped the entire game and stood in the middle of the court. I looked at my dad. I just held the ball. I looked at him and, and I said, hey, if you want to play this game, you come down here. I'll give you the ball right now. Everybody just stopped and froze and didn't, everybody really didn't know what to do. I mean, even the ref didn't even know uh, what to do. 
And I had had enough. And so I thought I'd call my dad out from the margins, from the stands. It seems like in this passage that we just read, maybe you were uh, reading it from the screen and you thought, wow, this, this passage is intense. In this passage, it seems as if God has had enough. It seems that God is almost at the edge of a cliff and he's just ready to just either jump off or push his people off and say, this is enough. If we read the passage before this, uh, it was not read, but before this in chapters, uh, verses one and two of chapter five, we read a lament. We see that before God speaks these harsh words of truth, we see that God is also shedding tears. This is what the lament says in verse two. God says, fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. We have a God who laments. We have a God who is shedding tears before this intense call to repentance, before this truth is spoken, this uncomfortable truth, before it's spoken to Israel, we have a God whose heart is breaking into pieces for his people. As a mother laments for her child, so God laments for his people. And this is the context in which this call to repentance is spoken. We see that God is shedding tears for his people. But who are these people that God sheds tears for? We have a description here as we keep reading. And if we go back to chapter one, Amos chapter one tells us that this was specifically spoken to the northern kingdom of Israel during the eighth century before the southern kingdom was deported, before the north was invaded by Assyria. In other words, this was a time of relative peace and security. It was a time of greatness. Politically, economically, Israel was great. Israel had everything going for them. In fact, even religiously, they were great. In fact, if uh, we had a time machine and we went back, it uh, may have been that we could have spotted some bumper stickers on some chariots at this time (laughs) that read things like, keep the northern kingdom of Israel great. Or, I stand for the flag, but I kneel at the temple. I'm not sure. You, You could fact check me on that. But this was a time of greatness. And yet in the middle of all of that greatness, God's heart was breaking. And in the middle of all of that greatness, God was calling these great people to change, to repentance. Why call them to change? Why call them to repentance? Why is God's heart breaking? If there's something we see from the entire book of Amos is that God is concerned with the marginalized. God is concerned for the poor and the needy. Verse seven gives us a 
sort of a big picture overview of what was happening. Here it is again, verse seven. There are those who turn justice into, the version we read said, wormwood. This version says, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. That is, for some people in the northern kingdom of Israel, justice tasted like something bitter, like something sour, like getting one of those jelly bellies that surprises you with a very terrible taste. You guys know which jelly belly I'm talking about. I'm not going to mention it. But it was something that tasted sour and bitter in the mouths of certain people of this time. We keep reading and we see several other indictments. Verse 10 says that people at this time were their own authority and their own source of truth. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. It was a time of confusion in the courts and it was a time of constant fact-checking because there was so much confusion that nobody even knew what was real anymore. We don't know anything about that today, right? Anyway, let, let's keep going and um, try to make this a little more relevant. But verse 11 tells us that these people were adding burdens to those already burdened, that the northern kingdom of Israel had ignored their call to be a blessing to the nations, to be a blessing to all people. And instead of helping lighten the load of others, they were actually putting more and more burdens on those that were already burdened. Those that were already ignored were being further ignored. Verse 12 tells us this, there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. They may have been practicing justice at this time. They may have been practicing religion at this time. Externally, they may have been doing all the right things that others probably would have said, this is a great people. In fact, they may have looked at themselves and said, we're pretty great. What is wrong? And yet in the middle of this, God's heart is breaking and God is calling his people to repentance. As we look at the justice and religion that was practiced then, it makes us wonder what sort of justice and religion is being practiced today? The verse says, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and it makes us wonder, is the justice that is being practiced today, is that bitter? Does it taste bitter for some people? And if so, for who? We hear different forms and we see different forms of justice today. It seems like almost everybody has their version of what justice looks like of what the right thing to do is. Perhaps you are here this morning and you've experienced bitter justice or you've experienced a form of justice that tasted bitter. I, not too long ago, experienced uh, a version of bitter justice. Certainly, 
uh, not what some people experience uh, across the world, but uh, I remember some of you guys also know this story. If you know me, I've shared this story. But I experienced uh, on this one morning a, a form of bitter justice. I was uh, at a pastor's meeting, a uh, group of Hispanic pastors from around the city, and we gathered together uh, to have breakfast. So, you know, it's a bunch of pastors together. You would think we're safe, right? I mean, we're all together. We all sort of believe the same thing. We're all in a group. We were having breakfast at the World Cup Cafe. Some of you guys know it's a great place, okay? So what I'm about to say, in no way, I'm not trying to uh, uh, bring any sort of defamation or any, anything. So if you see Jimmy, okay, don't tell him I, that I was speaking ill of the World Cup. But you know, we're at the World Cup Cafe, so you think of all places, we would be safe here, right? And all of a sudden, as we were talking, uh, this, this lady comes, comes up to our table and she stops our conversation, and all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she uh, looks at us and says, I want you to know that all of you guys here at this table are, are welcome here. This is my home, and you guys are welcome here. So we thought, great, thank you. And then what she said next uh, wasn't as nice. But after that, she said, but I want you guys to know that after you guys come here to this country, get your jobs and make your money, go back home to where you came from. (laughs) And so we all look at each other and we're thinking, is this really happening in the World Cup Cafe of all places? We look at each other and she keeps going and sort of brings up a litany of things saying how it was hard for her to get uh, medical help and to uh, get all these other things that she needed. She felt like she wasn't being cared for and on and on. At this point, the whole restaurant was quiet and everybody was looking at us. We had no idea what to do. Until finally, I, uh, I, she stopped, and I, I, I think I was the one who said, it's great to meet you. What, what's your name? <laughs> and at that point, she uh, stopped, and she said, it doesn't matter. She walked out the door. All of us looked at each other, and we all said to each other, what home do we go back to? <laughs> we were all born in this country. We, we don't know where to go. <laughs> so for now, we're just going to stay here and talk about what happened. And we did. What was interesting about that day is that I experienced a form of justice, a bitter justice that, um, that I had not experienced in Waco before. For many people, this is their version of justice. Their version of justice says, Go back home. Go back home to where you came from. For other people, it's a different slogan. (laughs) You fill in the blank. We all have these versions of justice in our minds of what seems best for us. But this morning, I believe that the passage that we read gives us a different form, different version of justice. One that includes 
yes, the poor and the needy, but also one that is much broader than that. I believe this passage calls us to a justice that not only includes those that we ignore and that we push aside, those we stereotype, those we oppress, but the passage today also gives us a version of justice that includes those who oppress the oppressed, those who keep the needy as needy, those who ignore the poor and deprive the innocent of justice in the courts. Because in this passage, we see God lamenting for Israel, his people. I mean, why shed tears over these people? Why is God's heart broken over these people who are oppressing the needy? I'm glad I'm not God, because I don't know if my heart would break over these people. <laughs> the version of justice we see in Amos is much larger than the version of justice that we often practice. In the version of justice we often practice, we have the good guys and the bad guys. But in the version of justice that we see in Amos chapter 5, it's one that includes not only the good guys, but the bad guys. And I believe this is what makes Amos chapter 5 and the entire book of Amos so deeply radical. The bad news this morning is that we all have practiced our own version of justice. The bad news this morning is that we've all judged others too quickly and have enacted our version of justice. And yet the good news this morning is that there is someone who has shown us a better way. In the gospel reading that was read this morning, we see Jesus encountering a rich young ruler. A rich young ruler. If this was written today, uh, it probably would have been the rich young millennial. Uh, and because it's popular to pick on millennials, right? Um, we probably would have seen this passage and have been outraged at the line that we read, that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Out of all the people that we think Jesus probably would have looked down upon, it would have been the person that had it all together. The person who was well off uh, economically, the person who was well off religiously. He had kept all the commandments. The self-assured, self-confident person of all the people in the world. Jesus looks at this person and the passage tells us that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Before the correction came, the concern was there. Before the truth was spoken, God's heart went out to this person. 
Beloved, this morning, the gospel calls us to expand our version of justice. If we keep reading the gospel of Mark, and in fact, all of the gospels, we see that Jesus didn't just go around telling people to be nice. He didn't just go around helping elderly ladies cross the street. He didn't just go around telling people to be nice to each other. If we keep reading the gospel accounts, we see in every single one that Jesus himself tasted the bitter justice of his time. We see that God in Jesus Christ tasted the bitter justice that so many in our world experience today. If we keep reading, we see that God in Jesus Christ opens a way by taking on the hurt and the suffering and the tears of those who are marginalized in our world today, but also, also, he takes on the burdens of those who do the oppressing. He takes the sins of the oppressor as well, the self-assured, self-righteous, self-confident people in our world. God's heart breaks for those people as well. And to follow God, to follow the way of Jesus Christ would mean to allow our hearts to break for those people as well. If you're anything like me, I'm very quick to jump in and enact my version of justice. If you're anything like me, I'm very quick to judge. I'm very quick to distinguish between good guy and bad guy. I'm very quick to enact a form of justice that seems best to me. Before we do that, this passage reminds us that God himself weeps, laments, that God himself laments for those that we would rather judge or push aside. This morning, the invitation for us is to see the God whose heart breaks for all those who are marginalized. This morning, the invitation is to join God as his heart breaks for all people. I used to uh, think that, um, that my call was to reach the marginalized, to reach those who are on the edges and fringes of society. And sometimes I still use this language, but I often used to use this language of, I feel called to the margins. I feel called to reach those who are overlooked. I feel called to uh, include the outsider, those who are pushed aside, the needy. Until one day it dawned on me. I think it happened when I was reading the Gospels, actually. Until one day it dawned on me that maybe I'm not the one who's at the center of things, going out into the margins, 
to bring people into the center of things. One day it dawned on me and I thought, well, actually, what if I'm not the one who's at the center? What if I'm actually the one who's at the margins? (laughs) And this morning, I'd like to just maybe have us reflect on that. What if we are not the ones at the center reaching out to the margins? What if a passage like Amos chapter five isn't telling us, go out and reach those who are at the margins and bring them into the center? What if Amos chapter five is actually calling us to go into the center of what God is doing? What if God's heart is breaking, not because we're at the center and ignoring those at the margins, what if God's heart is breaking because we are the ones who are on the margins outside of God's purposes and plans for the world and God's heart is breaking and he is saying, come into the center of what I am doing. Come and join me. Leave the stands and come to where the action is. This is where my heart can be found. What if this morning God is calling you to leave the margins? What if this morning God is calling you this morning to where the hurt is, to where the needy are? What if God this morning is calling you to love the unlovable? What if this morning God through Jesus Christ, is inviting you to reach those we would rather stay away from? What if this morning, through loving the unlovable, God is forming Christ in us? This morning, this is the invitation to expand our idea of what justice is a justice that includes all, a justice that has a different image of who the marginalized really are. This morning, the invitation is to see God in the face of Jesus Christ, to see his heart breaking for those who are ignored and for all of us. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? And as I pray, I'm going to offer this prayer in English and Spanish. This is uh, how we pray at my church. And so I want to invite you to um, pray with me. Good and gracious God, Dios bueno y misericordioso. Gracias damos, we give thanks. Because in Jesus Christ, we see your face of, compa- of compassion, porque en Cristo vemos tu rostro de compasión. Lord, forgive us when our justice excludes some people, Señor, Perdónanos cuando nuestra justicia excluye a algunos otros. And grant us grace y danos la gracia, Señor, para seguirte a ti, to follow you in the way of justice, en el camino de la justicia.
Gracias por este tiempo. Thank you for this time. And thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Y gracias por tu hijo, Cristo. Que en la cruz nos enseña justicia verdadera. That on the cross has shown us what true justice is. And it is in his name we pray. And en su nombre oramos. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless.